The Soccer Gambling Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon. Score exclusive perks and content available only to our Patreons at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. You are listening to the EPL show here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. This episode will primarily be looking at the transfers that have been done and could potentially be done before the start of the season. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast on Twitter at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. You can follow the Sports Gambling Podcast Network at the... SGP Network. That's at the SGP Network. And finally, you can follow my other Twitter account where I tweet about all sports. That is at LockBettingCom. That's at LockBettingCom. The pin tweet on that Twitter account is always my PL spreadsheet from the previous month. So at the moment, the pin tweet will be the month of June and that will be replaced by the month of July. I have delivered 100 and 21 months in a row of transparent track profit. That means I haven't had a single losing month in sports betting for an entire decade. Have I had losing days? Yes. Have I even had losing weeks? Yes. But over the course of a 30-day period, I have always turned a profit for 121 straight months. And once my spreadsheets are removed and replaced as the pin tweet, they then go over to lockbetting.com. That's why it is a transparent and tracked history. 121 months of profit, undisputed. You can go and check it out. I encourage you to do your due diligence before you even consider signing up for my service. I actually want you guys to do that. Go and have a look at all of the spreadsheets before you make any kind of commitment. A lot of the players talk about how persuasive Mikel is and, and, and his attention to detail. How did he convince you to join? What, what, what did he say to you that, that made you think this was the right club for you? Uh, I don't think it's just what he said to me. I think I've I said it in my open interview. Like I've been watching Arsenal now like the last two, two, three years since he's taken over. And even in his first year, you could see what he was trying to build. Um, and then in the year after that, they finished fifth. And then last year, they obviously finished second. But the trajectory of what they've been doing and how he wants to play and obviously speaking to a few of the players and how they've improved. And then obviously after I'd spoken to him as well, it was just... You know, it was everything that, you know, that I'd wanted, really. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 24. Like I've said all along, you only get one career. I know, I know I've got a couple more stages I can get to in terms of my improvement. And I feel like he's the best man to do that. Um, you know, already in the 10 days that I've been here, I'm seeing football in a different way. Um, seeing the game completely different. I'm learning different things every day. And, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to test myself. Um, that's why we play football and that's why you know you want to you want to improve can you give us an idea of what you mean i mean what have you what have you seen differently what just, you, what just a different from? just obviously I've, I've been at one place for so long so it's a completely different it's a completely different change um you know just in terms of the tactics the, the way he wants to play football you know the way you press you know every manager is different um and under Mikel already i'm learning i'm learning so much in training there's so much information to take on and for sure over time um, 
once I've fully adapted into it, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be a better player for it. And final couple, just in, in terms of the team itself, what are the expectations this season? I, mean, I know obviously you weren't at the club, but you know Arsenal's Premier League push kind of came a little out of nowhere last season. But obviously you've come in, a couple of other big signings, another year stronger, another year older together. Are you looking at the title and thinking you know, that's got to be our aim this season? Without a doubt, I think from the first moment I've come in, the process of everyone in their minds here is to win. That's literally the motivation of everyone now is to win, to be successful, to enjoy the pressure of being at the top. You know, like you said, the squad, we've added some really good players. The squad was already amazing before, you know, the players have joined. Um, and of course, now there's going to be more pressure on us. There's going to be more pressure on everyone around the club to, to perform and to win stuff. I feel like we'll take that in our strides. You know, the players that were here last year, I'm sure they would have learned a hell of a lot with that title run. Um, and this year, it's just about going that one, one step ahead, of course everyone's strengthening in the Premier League but like I said I wouldn't have chose Arsenal if I didn't believe that this club is going to go back into that into the big time where they can you know, win big trophies and compete for the, for the biggest awards so really looking forward to it So that's Declan Rice talking about his move from West Ham to Arsenal I think thus far that is the big move so far this summer Declan Rice going to Arsenal for £105 million. And as he said in that interview, he chose Arsenal. And that's a fact because there were other clubs interested in him. I'm sure Manchester United were quietly interested in him. I'm sure Chelsea were quietly interested in him. On the public forefront, we saw Bayern Munich interested in him. Thomas Tuchel tried to very openly get him to come to Bayern Munich. We know that Manchester City submitted a bid in between Arsenal's bid being accepted and the first Arsenal bid being rejected. We know Manchester City came in with a cheeky bid during that period. So there was real interest. And when Rice says he chose Arsenal, he legitimately chose Arsenal. So this is his choice. He genuinely believes in the project. He genuinely believes in the manager. He genuinely believes that Arsenal will be title contenders this season. Also, let's look at the other business that they've done as well. They've also spent the money in bringing Timber, who was a Manchester United target last season, to the club. This was a player that Manchester United did want, and I think they wanted him alongside Lissandro Martinez. I don't think it was a case of either or. I think Ten Hag wanted to bring in both of, both of his centre-backs, given the injury record of Rafa Varane, who obviously has to be the first choice at any club when he's fit, because for me... He is still the best centre-back in world football. So for me, he has to play. But um, he did want both Timber and Martinez. And whether that meant Maguire would have gone or whether that meant that um, Lindelof would have gone, we know that Eric Bailly went out on loan. So I feel that that would have been his preference. But in the end, Louis van Gaal talked Timber out of coming to Manchester United because he said Manchester United were just a marketing club, just a business. They weren't interested in football. He advised him not to go to Manchester United if he was the, if he was looking to go for footballing reasons. And if he did choose Manchester United, he basically said that it would affect his place in the Dutch national side. So Timber did not go to United and ended up going to Arsenal this summer. They've also signed Kai Havertz from Chelsea. This is a head scratcher for most Arsenal fans. And for me, I think this is the signing that's going to be an issue and why I don't see them as title contenders. Now, 
for long periods last season, Arsenal fans were arguing, as Arsenal fans do, they're the kings of hyperbole, that um, Thomas Partey was the best holding midfielder on the planet. We all know that's Rodri. Even as a Manchester United fan, I know that over the past decade, the number one holding midfielder has been Casemiro, and we have him at our club. But I'm happy to concede the best holding midfielder right now in world football is Rodri, ahead of probably Casemiro. But um, Arsenal fans were convinced it was Thomas Partey. And Thomas Partey was playing out of his skin at the start of the season, or even for the first six months of the season. And then his performances just fell off a cliff. He looked like a different player. And suddenly they're looking to replace him. Now, I would have thought initially that Rice was coming in to play alongside Partey and Rice would be playing in more of an advanced role. Every avid England fan or everybody in the British media who love to hype up British players and make them sound better than they actually are will tell you that there's there's more to Declan Rice, that he could be a better player than his stats suggest. They seem to feel that he has a range of passing. They seem to think that he can carry the ball. They seem to think that he can make runs into the box and score goals, even though we've never seen it. So they're convinced that Rice would have been implemented more as an eight, but then Arsenal drop over £60 million on Havits and everything suddenly changes because now you are looking at implementing Rice in a holding midfield role and you're looking at utilising Kai Havits as your number eight. Now, from watching the Premier League and watching the inconsistent performances of Kai Havertz as a Chelsea player, I don't see a number eight there. I can see a player who can turn it on any given week. I can see a player who scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. And when he was at Bayern Leverkusen playing in the Bundesliga, I saw a player who could be a game changer and deliver on a consistent basis week to week. But I haven't seen that at Chelsea. And this signing really confuses me because now you are looking at Rice being your holding midfielder, unless you have some plans to play Kai Havertz out wide, which I don't think you do because fans are very, very high on Martinelli and think that he can progress to be a world-class player. Obviously, fans are very high on Bakayo Saka. I don't think that Havertz is coming in as a false nine because that would mean that Gabriel Jesus has to make way and Gabriel Jesus himself already plays as a false nine. So Arsenal, I would have thought, would have been in a market for an out-and-out centre-forward but that's not been the case. So these signings baffle me. Declan Rice doesn't. The price does. In no way, shape or form do I feel that Declan Rice is worth £105 million based on what I've seen from him so far. At the moment, he is just a holding midfield player who reads the game quite well. I haven't seen that range of passing. When you compare what Rice can do to someone like Caicedo of Brighton, there's a far better player there from what I've seen in Caicedo. But it remains to be seen. These English pundits and the media and these um, English football fans and West Ham fans in particular will tell you that Declan Declan Rice is the full package. For 105 million, I expect to see the full package and the jury will very, very much be out on him and on Arsenal after spending all of this money on these three signings this summer.
At this point in the show, we are going to talk about the Saudi involvement in what's been happening with the transfers in the EPL thus far in this transfer window. It's had a huge impact. It has allowed clubs to get rid of some of the dead weight. And that's what we initially thought the Saudi league would be. We thought it would be similar to the MLS picking up players towards the end of their career. But there has been a little bit of a twist as the Saudis are now starting to offer enough money to entice players to go to the Saudi league at the peak of their career. So we are going to run through some of those names and analyse what effect that has had on the EPL or what effect it will have on the EPL. Before we do that, let me quickly tell you once again about the Sports Gambling Podcast Patreon. Do your part in the war against corporate gambling and sign up for the SGP Patreon. Ton of exclusive content, contests and merch just for our Patreons, plus a monthly SGP Stories podcast and an ad-free uncensored show highlighting the best stories from decades of being DGENs. There is even a Discord channel just for Patreons. The Sports Gambling Podcast Patreon is a great way to score exclusive perks and support SGPN. It's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon to get involved. So, as I said, it looked like initially it was just going to be some names reaching the end of their career looking for a retirement payout, much like the MLS was for the likes of David Beckham and Zlatan Ibrahimovic, although Zlatan did the unthinkable. He went to the MLS and was able to come back and play in the Premier League and then play for AC Milan after Manchester United as well, because Zlatan is just a freak. But usually when players went to the MLS, it was the likes of Beckham and Frank Lampard just to, and Wayne Rooney as well, just to essentially retire. But that's what we looked like. That's what it looked like the Saudi League was going to be with Cristiano Ronaldo going there. We did see Karen Benzema going there after a year after winning the Ballon d'Or. It did seem a little bit premature, but the money was insane. We then saw some players leaving the EPL. It wasn't a huge surprise, although it did look a little bit shady that Chelsea were losing so much of their dead weight. Mendy, who became their second choice goalkeeper, went. Kouabali, who had a terrible first and last season in the EPL, went. And Angolo Kante, who's been injury prone for for the last 18 months, left the EPL as well to go to Saudi Arabia. And then the surprise signing started to happen. We saw Jota go from Celtic to Saudi Arabia, someone who's 24 years old at the peak of his career. We saw Ruben Neves leave Wolves to go to Al-Hilal in a three-year deal, which is reported to be worth $60 million. And we know that top clubs were very, very interested in him, but he went there for the money. Jordan Henderson, the Liverpool captain at 33 years old, went to Al Etifak to play under Steven Gerrard, who signed as a manager for Al Etifak. That was a big surprise, especially after Henderson spoke out against their human rights record and the way that they treat LGBT people. Yet, when you offer them enough money, and enough money for him was $900,000 a week, 
he decided to leave to go to the Saudi League as well. On top of that, we've had other names outside of the EPL. We've seen Sergi Milinkovic-Savic, a player who is at his absolute peak, a key player for Lazio. He's gone to Al-Hilal for $44.5 million. He would have been wanted by a number of Premier League teams. I think Manchester United and Chelsea were both interested in him, but he has ended up going to the Saudi League. The same for Marcelo Brozovic at 30 years old. The Croatian midfielder has gone to al Nasser for 19.6 million. Manchester City have lost Riyad Mahrez to the Saudi League and there are also links that Bernardo Silva is thinking about moving and he's one of the most highly rated players in the EPL. So if the likes of Bernardo Silva are going to move, then that really does tell you that the Saudi League has some serious sway. Bernardo Silva at the moment is wanted by the Saudi League. He's wanted by Barcelona and he's wanted by PSG. Plus Manchester City want to keep him. Riyad Mahrez has also gone. Riyad Mahrez was out of favour. He made his feelings clear to Pep Guardiola that he wanted to leave to go somewhere else after he was left out of both the FA Cup and Champions League final lineups. And uh, he has moved on to Jeddah after a treble winning season with Manchester City. He's gone for $38.5 million. So the Saudi League is having a big impact and they even made a world record bid for Kylian Mbappe. It'll be fascinating to see how many other players end up picking the Saudi League between now and the end of the season. But it's very, very different to the MLS. After seeing what's happened now, it is even more surprising that Lionel Messi decided to go to the MLS instead of to the Saudi League and following Cristiano Ronaldo there. But Ronaldo said himself that um, he has set the table for all of these players to move. And that's a very interesting point. Would all of these players be going had Ronaldo not gone there first? Ronaldo has obviously set the table for them. He's made it somewhat acceptable. And now players are taking that money. And these are ridiculous sums of money. This is life-changing money. And Ruben Neves, as I said, has been quite open about the reasons that have led him to Saudi. And that being... um, generational wealth for his family, which is what the Saudi League can offer. My question is, is it going to be sustainable or is it going to fall away like the Chinese League? I don't think it will because obviously it's a tax-free haven in Saudi, very much unlike in China, where the big problem was is that the the players were being taxed half of their wages and the clubs were being taxed heavily as well and it wasn't sustainable. Whereas the Saudi League, they have the full support of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. We know that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia want to bring as much as they can as far as sports go to Saudi Arabia in order to entice tourism, in order to make Saudi Arabia the number one tourist destination in the world. So there is nothing they will do to stand in the way of progress in terms of bringing these players over, making the league as big as possible and making all sporting events as big as possible. It's having an impact in the world of soccer. It's having an impact in golf and it's having a huge and somewhat negative impact over boxing where 
a lot of the heavyweight fights aren't being done because fighters are waiting for the Saudi payout. So instead of fighting in an 80,000-seater stadium like Wembley, they would rather box in a 20,000-seater arena where they're going to be paid double to fight in front of less people but are going to receive an extortionate sum from the Saudis to fight in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So it is taking over sport. You could say it's a positive. You could say it's a negative. But the bottom line is it is happening and it's going to have a huge impact over what happens in the EPL. As I said, there were some very hefty allegations thrown at Chelsea where their rebuild from last season was being unrebuilt as they were being assisted by removing some of their dead wood by the Saudis who had a relationship with their owner. And uh, this was something that was very heavily scrutinised by the media. But one thing that has happened, which is not going to allow Chelsea to implement the bizarre transfer policy that they tried to utilise last year, is that these long-term eight-year contracts where they're able to pay players a lot of money, but over a long period of time, they are now banned. Chelsea are no longer able to utilise this loophole to their advantage. So it's going to be a lot more difficult for Mauricio Pochettino to secure his targets. But it does look like a huge rebuild that does involve more players leaving Chelsea at the moment than those that are coming in. We know that they signed Christopher and Kuka and they already had that deal done and dusted. And that would take place as soon as July hit. And it did. And Kuku's there and he's going to have a huge impact in the EPL. I think he's one of the bigger signings. They have Jackson now up front. He's going to be the new number nine for Chelsea. He looks good so far in pre-season with two goals in two. So it would not surprise me to see Chelsea, if they can utilise some of the players that they've kept and get the best out of them. When you're talking about Raheem Sterling, who had a poor season last season, when you're looking at Enzo Fernandez, who was the best young player at the World Cup, if they can have better seasons, if we can get better performances from the players that are still there that won the Champions League and the new signs like Nkuku and Jackson bed in, then Chelsea, they could be a contender for the top four. But at the moment, they definitely need to beef up the squad because they are significantly lacking in some positions. Yet I still see them... Um, see clubs linked to Conor Gallagher and there is a belief that Chelsea want to get rid of Conor Gallagher when they don't have really too many midfielders left. So it surprises me to see that Mauricio Pochettino doesn't want to keep hold of Conor Gallagher and that Chelsea will accept a bid of around about £50 for the player with West Ham interested. But West Ham, of course, are interested in a number of players because they have £105 burning a hole in their pocket and they want to have another run in Europe and get into the top half of the table. They want to build on winning that UEFA Europa Conference League last season and they've lost Declan Rice. So they are being linked to Ward Prowse. They are being linked to Manchester United, Scott McTominay. And they are being linked to um, Conor Gallagher as well. One of the biggest lingering transfer dramas of the summer looks set to be Harry Kane. He's heavily rumoured to be leaving Tottenham with Bayern Munich now the front runners in the market. It's very, very surprising to me to see Harry Kane to leave Tottenham as the favourite in the market with a team ahead of Tottenham in the market with Bayern Munich now priced up at 10 to 11 and Harry Kane at 2-1 to one to stay at Spurs with Manchester United, the third favourites here, 4-1. to one. It was heavily rumoured over the weekend that um, Tottenham had made a decision that if Harry Kane would not sign a new contract, then they were willing to sell him to the highest bidder at the moment. 
Bayern Munich have come in with the highest bid of £80 million plus add-ons and Daniel Levy has refused it. So that looks to be the saga that will drag on through the summer. If I was Manchester United, I'd be doing everything possible to get Harry Kane. But it seems like they've given up on Kane and Rasmus Hoyland from Atalanta is the targeted number nine. I talked over on BetMUC about the business Manchester United have done so far in relation to Anana and Mount. And now our main targets seem to be Hoyland and Amrabat. And that seems to be £85 million that's going to be going out for these two players rather than making an £85 million bid for Harry Kane. I believe Kane puts you in a position to challenge for the league this season. I believe the other two signings do bolster your squad, but don't necessarily immediately make you title contenders unless Rasmus Hoyland is um, the next Erling Haaland like he's um, rumoured to be. But how can anybody be the next Erling Haaland? The new Erling Haaland is only in his very early 20s. To already say there's a next Erling Haaland would be quite ridiculous given that Erling Haaland is nowhere near even reaching the peak of his career. So um, we'll talk about Manchester City next because they really haven't done much business so far. Before we do that, let me quickly tell you guys about Underdog Fantasy. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. The NFL season is right around the corner and Underdog Pick'em is a great way to get down on a ton of NFL player props and is available in a ton of markets. Plus, plenty of opportunities to win in their daily MLB contests. And of course, make sure to enter Best Ball Mania 4 where first place gets $1 million. Head over to underdogfantasy.com, use your promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus, up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com and the promo code SGPN. So Manchester City's business so far in the window has been very, very limited. It's been more a case of people leaving rather than anybody coming in. Now, they're heavily linked to Guardiol of RB Leipzig, but RB Leipzig have already lost Slovisai to Liverpool, and obviously they knew they were losing Christopher and Cuckoo. They were hoping to build on last season and to join the title race, which was last season contested by Dortmund and Bayern Munich, but neither of them put up an exceedingly high points total, and RB Leipzig perhaps felt like they missed their chance and we're probably looking to strengthen this summer. But now they've lost two key players. They knew they were losing in Cuckoo anyway. And to lose Guardville, that would be a very disastrous window for them, although they would have a lot of money to spend. And it's not surprising that they're asking for around about 80 million euros for the player. So that looks to be Manchester City's main target. However, um, they are seemingly likely to lose a number of players to add to Riyad Mahrez, who has already gone to Saudi. They knew they were losing Gundogan to Barcelona at the start of the window, despite the fact it wasn't publicised. Um, Gundogan wasn't signing a new contract and he has moved on to Barcelona. That's two very, very important players. Gundogan was a starter and a key player in the treble run. So he's gone. He will need replacing at the moment, they have bought in Kovacic from Chelsea on a free. He does look good so far. I have been watching him in the um, in the preseason games, and it looks like he's always been a Manchester City player. So that's unfortunate. If you want to see Manchester City lose their place on the throne, you probably don't want to see Kovacic coming in 
and being a ideal replacement for Gundogan. So that doesn't look to have hurt them so far. But if you do want to continue to challenge on all fronts and go for another treble, you will need to sign some players because at the moment, Riyad Mahrez, as I said, is gone. It looks like Carl Walker is on his way to Bayern Munich. Jao Cancelo is back at the club because Bayern Munich didn't want to buy him. But the fact that he fell out with Pep Guardiola doesn't seem to bode well. It's got to be awkward for Cancelo being the only player there who who left in January and didn't get to win the treble. So he started the season with City. He started as a first-team regular. Had a falling out with Pep Guardiola. And then he got loaned out, missed the entire treble win... And then he comes back to the squad when all the other players have won the treble and he scraped a Bundesliga title with Bayern Munich. So he's got to feel even worse than he did before and he's going to want out of the club. So it very much surprises me that Carl Walker is heavily linked to Bayern Munich. In fact, the bookies currently have that move at minus 800 that Kyle Walker will move to Bayern Munich. So if the bookies are anything to go by, that looks set to be a done deal. Bernardo Silva doesn't seem like he wants to stay at Manchester City, according to the books, or at least a week ago, it was heavily expected that he would move to either the Saudi League or PSG. The prices have come down slightly. They can't really decide between the three, but there was a point last week where Manchester City were heavily the third favourite in that market with the top two looking like Saudi Arabia and PSG with the Saudi League at one point at minus 120 and PSG at 11 to 10 plus 110 and three to one odds on him to stay at Manchester City. Now all of that has changed over the last week because nothing seems to have happened. Perhaps it's Manchester City telling Bernardo Silva that they won't allow him to go because the number of players that are going. But there is a feeling around that the players have, some players feel like they've achieved everything that they can achieve at Manchester City. And do you really want those players to stay? And are those players replaceable? How do you replace a Gundogan? How do you replace a Riyad Mahrez? How do you replace a Bernardo Silva? How do you replace a Carl Walker, who's been the best right back in the world, in my opinion, for the last four or five years? It's very, very difficult. And I'm not saying they're not going to win the Premier League, but I'm certainly saying that it's going to be almost impossible to challenge on all three fronts again. And obviously, if you do the treble, you want to be in the running for another treble. And it's hard to see what competition is going to fall by the wayside. But it's very difficult for me to see Manchester City winning both the Champions League and the Premier League again. Obviously, teams behind them have strengthened. Arsenal have spent a lot of money. We covered that right at the top of the show, although I don't necessarily feel they're the right signings. United signings seem to be players for the future. Liverpool seem to have made decent signings, but they seem to have just replaced who they've lost. We've got Fabinho going to the Saudi League, Jordan Henderson going to the Saudi League, and then we have McAllister and Slobosai coming into those positions. We also have Trent Alexander-Arnold looking like he's going to be playing in a holding midfield role, which means Liverpool probably do need to sign a right back unless they're going to go with one of the youth players and they're going to upgrade and place somebody else in the right back position or perhaps they're going to insert Joe Gomez back into the right back position that hasn't really looked too good when Liverpool have done it over the past couple of seasons Joe Gomez certainly doesn't look like the same player who was touted to be a, a player who went on to get 100 caps for England he certainly doesn't look like that player at the moment but we'll see what Jurgen Klopp does I still expect a little bit more business from Liverpool and perhaps that can elevate 
elevate them to a team who can maybe challenge for the title or at least look like they're going to be guaranteed to finish in the top four. At the moment, that doesn't look likely. And that's off the back of Mo Salah being very disgruntled and making comments towards the end of this last season saying it was absolutely unacceptable that Liverpool weren't in the Champions League and promising that it would never, ever happen again. Well, unless Liverpool do some more business, it could potentially happen again. But you never know what Klopp has in mind because at the moment he has five forwards and I believe that two of them are capable of dropping into the midfield and playing in that anchor role behind the striker. I believe that both... Uh, Cody Gakpo and Luis Diaz are capable of doing that. I have no doubt that uh, Darwin Nunes is going to be the number nine. He missed a hatful of chances last season. You'd have to think the belief, or at least the hope is, is that he'll have a better season in front of goal. And if he can convert those chances, then he's going to be a 25-30 goal striker. Now, obviously, the saying goes, you have to be there to miss them. So the fact that he's getting the chances is a good thing. The fact that he's missing the chances obviously isn't. But he is getting in the position to get those chances. He does create a lot of their own chances. He presses well. So I'm expecting a bigger and better season from Darwin Nunes. Obviously, Mo Salah is an automatic selection as well. So then you only have one position for Diaz Jota, who has to play down the middle, really, and Cody Gakpo. So it would not surprise me to see one of those guys dropping off and playing behind the forwards, leaving three positions for Slobosai, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, if he does, playing midfield, and Alexis McAllister to compete for. So perhaps Liverpool aren't as short as we think, and Jurgen Klopp knows exactly what he's doing. But I do think he needs to strengthen up at the back. If Trent is going to play as a holding midfielder, they certainly do need to bring in a new right-back. Perhaps that will be the priority between now and the close of the window for Liverpool. I'm not going to run through every single club. I will just say we haven't mentioned them at all. But I do feel that so far, Aston Villa are winning the window. We are going to talk a lot more about Aston Villa specifically when we do our season preview. There's so much to talk about in this season preview. So that is going to be a two-parter and they will start in the second week of August because the EPL begins on August the 11th, the first game will be Manchester City travelling to Burnley. So we are going to release the shows around about the 7th or 8th. I think the first part I'll do on the 7th, the second part I'll do on the 9th. So you'll have a two-part preview for the EPL this season. And we can talk about Aston Villa then, and we can talk about more clubs then. And we can look at all of the futures markets for the EPL season. So until then... That's it for me and this EPL transfer special. Don't forget, there are a load of podcasts dropping over the weekend. We are going to look at the Fantasy Premier League. So that's another podcast where we can discuss the new incomings and outgoings. We can also discuss who you definitely need to have in your team and who you definitely shouldn't have in your team. So you can get some pointers to start your Fantasy Premier League team. We're also going to have two editions of the Fight Show this weekend. There is a incredible UFC card going on. Unfortunately, it's going to be running head to head with the biggest boxing match of the year as a fight I've been talking about for a few years now finally happens this weekend as Terence Crawford steps into the ring with Errol Spence and many believe that this will determine the pound for pound king 
in the world of boxing and there will be a preview available for that fight. There'll be a preview on the fight show tomorrow. Good luck with all of your bets as always and thanks for listening.